Welcome to Realize Roger Rabbit. The podcast that can set you free, Roger Rabbit, one minute at a time. That's right. You heard Donald. This is Who Analyzed Roger Rabbit. I am one of your two hosts. My name is Chris Blair, and I am here with the other of your two hosts, Annie McMullen. We should establish I am a live action human. (laughs) And I might be a tune who's just not self-aware of it. (laughs) That actually might explain a lot of things. Uh, We are going to be your guides. I guess I'll call us for the next 104 minutes. For those of you unfamiliar with Movies by Minutes, it's a format started by Alex Robinson and Pete the Retailer of the Star Wars Minute, where they break down the movie one minute at a time. So a big thank you to them. If you haven't put it together, we are doing exactly that to Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Looking at it in extreme detail, some might say painstaking detail, minute by minute. Painstaking? I think it's joy-staking detail. (laughs) That's a much better way to look at it. And listeners, we hope that you find it (laughs) joy-staking as well. We're going to be releasing three minutes a week, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. This right now, this I would say is minute zero of the movie, which I guess is equivalent to like the FBI warning of uh, when you start watching a movie. Oh, like the um, the, like anti-pirating thing? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Was it always called pirating like that? Because I remember whenever you got like a VHS or I guess it was primarily on VHS or or a laser disc if your family was rich. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. But, but I guess it's primarily on VHS where it had that little like you can't duplicate. But I don't know that the word pirate was in there. It's, pirate feels newer to me, but I'm not. I feel it's a little bit newer. I know I heard that with like computer games, but I don't know if I've heard it apply to movies until the internet era. Yeah, it feels internet-y, but, mm-hmm. uh, but who knows? Maybe we just weren't in the know. Maybe maybe other people were calling it. Well, yeah, because you used to be able to get bootleg copies. That was a thing. You know, you could buy a bootleg like uh, VHS. Right, right. Somebody in the theater actually filming the, uh, yeah. the movie. <laughs> yeah, with a hand, handheld, like shaky, <laughs> like, uh, like the kind of thing you would film home movies on. And just a warning to our listeners, don't you dare bootleg this podcast. <laughs> we will find you. No, actually, if you like the podcast, please share liberally. So we're going to have guests on pretty much every single week. So in this episode is all about getting to know me and Annie. So I'll start with you, Annie. Who are you? Oh, I have no idea, actually. (laughs) And I feel like that is actually, if you had to, if if I had to say like, you know, they're like, describe yourself in three words or whatever, I would be like, I don't know. Uh, I'm a, I'm a very, uh, fluid person. Uh, I just kind of go with the flow and let the world happen to me. So, you know, take, take that for, for what you will. So you'll be discovering yourself along with the <laughs> listeners. That's what this, Hey, Hey, spoiler. This podcast is actually about a journey to find myself. So, uh, through, <laughs> through, um, one Dune rabbits adventures. <laughs> well, well, I'll narrow it down a little bit. I'll ask. <laughs> what is your relationship with the movie Who Framed yeah. Roger Rabbit? 
so I I saw it when I was a little kid. I didn't see it in the theaters. Um, I don't I didn't go to the theaters a ton when I was like a little kid. Um, maybe I think it was really expensive, uh, at least for my family. Um, and also, you know, my parents worked and stuff, so uh, I could see that being a big thing. But anyways, I I did see it as a child, um, and I remember thinking that it was awesome I loved it I have always loved it and it's um one of the few movies I've watched like a bunch of times I'm not a re-watcher uh, I generally like to I prefer like the experience of watching a movie for the first time but I have watched this several times throughout the decades and you know and I've always enjoyed it it's a really good movie and I remember it as like a real groundbreaking moment even though I was a little kid right it's not like I was a student of the film industry um but I remember it was like a huge cultural phenomenon at the time and it launched a bunch of other weird live action versus cartoon stuff that wasn't as good you had this movie to compare to all the rest of those <laughs> and nothing has held up since I gotta be honest well and and what about you what are uh what are you <laughs> <laughs> I saw this movie in the theaters too and I remember seeing the trailer for this and my mind was just blown by the trailer because first of all I saw Donald and Daffy together in this and I was like can they do that so it you is... wait you understood like the like uh the nuance of intellectual property ownership <laughs> as a child like I, that I would think, have never crossed my mind as a kid I'd be like oh crazy look that guy's fighting a cartoon <laughs> well I mean to some degree because I knew like Donald existed in one world and Daffy existed in another world and like they aren't crossing different worlds there you have it folks Chris has been preparing for this podcast his <laughs> entire life I think this is something we always understand but just we can't quite get words for it right yet. you know the same so you're saying that so that you're saying intellectual property law is just like an innate nature of the universe and we uh we're just here to discover it and translate <laughs> into legislation that is exactly what i'm saying okay. i mean we kind of understand good versus bad different morality <laughs> and we understand that if a uh, large company owns certain uh, characters that's theirs to do with anyone who infringes on that will and should get sued and that and that like naturally things just have like a warner brothers vibe or a disney vibe <laughs> and those two things don't cross over and this movie broke all the rules would you say this movie is a kid's movie uh i don't think so mm. but i have a maybe <sighs> Well, I would say it's probably just like not a normal American viewpoint on these things. I think in America, we're sort of uniquely puritanical. Um, and then also, like, I say this as someone who is not a parent, but uh, lives with children. My family, I have children in my family that I live with and have helped uh, live with a bunch of kids for various time periods. And like, I think we don't give kids enough credit for the fact that like, they're pretty smart and they're pretty aware and able to like understand the nuance of like, hey, this is uh, not for kids, right? Like like mm -hmm. they can self-censor a bit, you know? And, and I don't think like kids should be watching a lot of violent stuff and whatever, but like if a kid like sees a nipple, it, it, the kid is gonna be fine, you know? Or like if a kid uh, 
uh, like just doesn't understand a double entendre, they just listen to the one entendre. Like they're fine with it. I don't think I've ever heard someone refer to a singular entendre. <laughs> because it's probably not grammatically correct, but I don't follow the rules. <laughs> Rule breaker, Annie McMullen. One entendre. What about you? I think it is absolutely not a kid's movie. I don't think this movie should be within a hundred feet of a kid or school. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna petition my town to uh, update all the like you know the school zone signs to be like no who frame Roger Rabbit within fifty <laughs> yards of this. <laughs> yeah, just rabbit with a uh, cross through it. No, I do think I do. Th- I mean, I saw it as a kid. I love dark things. I think it's I think it's fine that kids see it, but it is definitely not a a kid's Absolutely. movie whatsoever. I think it would probably be. But I but see, here's I was going to say, I think it would be wasted on kids. But I remember really liking it as a kid. So I don't know. You know, a lot of people will think of Roger Rabbit as it's just, it's a cartoon. It's an animated type movie that just has a fun detective story in it. But that yeah. is not true. Uh, no, it's like the opposite. Yeah, it is a uh, gritty adult detective movie in the vein of something like Chinatown or Maltese Falcon that's set in an alternative universe where cartoon characters are real. And that concept is just nutty that right it is a weird weird idea it's wild man it's complicated too as an adult it's still not all that easy to figure out what's going on in it and that's one of the things that i absolutely love about this movie is that is it's so weird so out there and uh those are my favorite kind of movies i think like i'm i'm always most sort of giddy leaving a movie if the premise is like just wild right Mm -hmm. because you know I love I love real stuff I love all kinds of movies but to me with a movie it's this like world where you can just make anything possible you can do anything and so movies that take full advantage of that freedom are my favorite I just Mm -hmm. find them to be the most enjoyable I agree with that too. Like I always love movies that are taking chances and that are entertaining, but still weird and artistic at the same time. And it, a lot of ways you could describe this movie as an art movie. And like we were saying with, with like the movies, the early animation, like they were all art, like especially the, the first ones like Fantasia, Snow White, Pinocchio, those were for sure art films. For sure. Do you think we both like weird movies just because we feel validated as people because we're improvisers <laughs> and we just want to see other people walk around and be like, I have, uh, I have tongs for hands and uh, only survive on the socks of children. I think it aligns with our worldview a little <laughs> bit more. Yeah, I'm like, I just feel so seen whenever there's just a complete freak in the movie. I'm like fighting with invisible rabbits on stage all the time. <laughs> I mean, improvisers kind of work in that way where we can't do something unless we think it's funny. So <laughs> it is, it is yeah, a line. Even, even when it's the wrong move. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think that this movie is a product of its time. And I mean that in two different ways. I mean, it is a product of the 80s because the 80s is a very weird time for movies. We've got this one, we've got Return to Oz. Back to the Future 2, which is another Robert Zemeckis joint, Bill and Ted, um, Labyrinth, 
a Pee Wee's Big Adventure. It really does feel like the 80s. They were like, yo, <laughs> yo, guys, uh, other stuff could happen. Bruh, the, like space and time. Yo, what if there are multiple universes full of different kinds of Muppets? <laughs> it's super important to look at art within the context of like when it was made. You know, mm-hmm. I remember as a kid being really into like... Uh, architects that's a normal thing for kids to be into right um (laughs) and like looking at like Le Corbusier right and being like oh you know I don't know looks kind of normal square whatever uh and then finding out or realizing that like they were still mostly driving horse and buggies and wearing bustles and like the idea that he made that like crazy metal chair with the leather cushions that is still in every like air quotes modern you know places he did that back then when there wasn't paved roads like that to me is bonkers you know mm-hmm. um and i think it's important to look at that movie or at this movie that way also right like mm-hmm. it was the freaking 80s man like special effects were in some ways better because it was mostly practical effects compared to now right and i think practical effects always um when they're done well they look they look better right but this this movie was just like super revolutionary and thinking about how hard it was to make how painstaking how much effort went into the animation and the stunts and um and all that stuff whereas now they would probably just cgi the whole thing oh yeah absolutely they 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 would like this is this movie could not exist in any other time but the exact time period that it existed in. Yeah, yeah. Like in every timeline, do you think this movie's the same? <laughs> no, it is definitely not. There's, <laughs> there's no two timelines where this movie's the same. You know, really, you don't think so? I think this might be the conversion po- convergence points for every timeline in the multiverse. <laughs> this, is, this is the one constant. It's the one constant, <laughs> and it's exactly the same. I, I also think this is a product of its time. And by of its time, I mean the golden age of animation. This movie takes place in 1947. Absolutely. And golden age of animation was essentially from like the 20s to early 1950s, animation in its prime, everything we think of when we think of classic animation. But when that was being made, animation was not thought of as this is something for kids. It was thought of something that like everyone can enjoy but especially at the beginning, it was seen as a novelty. It was essentially put in the same category as like a Chaplin movie or a Buster Keaton movie where it's like for everybody, but you know, like, you know, kids kids will watch this stuff too. And, you know, we'll get into Betty Boop <laughs> and uh, definitely, definitely a little less for kids. <laughs> but I think in this time period, we didn't necessarily have that concept of we're going to dumb down this thing and make it for kids, you know, yeah. like, and granted, like it around this time, you know, kids also held down construction jobs and yeah. and <laughs> smoke cigarettes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we thought of kids in a very different way than we think of them right now. But it's kind of a cool thing where just like well, and that's interesting too, because it and I'm not very good at uh timelines even once that I've experienced so maybe maybe I'm wrong but um it does feel like this was sort of the beginning of a resurgence of like that animation for adults because um and obviously we're in one of those moments right now right like there's a ton of adult animation out there that's great um but there wasn't in the early 80s and you know then we got we had 
Daria and we had Aeon Flux and we had Beavis and Butthead and we had all the stuff that came pretty shortly after this and it was it felt like a big moment I feel it's necessary to explain to the youths out there too that like back in our day back in we didn't have good cartoons we didn't have good cartoons but also there was just so much less content there wasn't 10 streaming services and you know it, it wasn't as fast to make content like you watched what was playing at that moment on network or cable television um and you there was just a lot less same with music which I talk about this a lot with music with friends it's like there was like 10 songs in a summer and that's what you got to listen to because that's what was on the radio or those were the 10 albums you could buy and like that's it there wasn't you couldn't make a song in your basement by yourself and get it distributed so we all the reason I think music now and shows and all that stuff have such a like shared nostalgia that I, I'm not sure people who are growing up right now will have like this universal nostalgia for things is because we were forced to all consume the same content <laughs> there wasn't very much <laughs> you're gonna watch this and you're gonna like it yeah you are gonna like boys to men this summer <laughs> and you know what we did yeah yeah Gladly. we did absolutely yeah, we, did. Yeah. we still do uh should we dive into these main players yeah let's do film? it let's do it we're gonna be talking a lot about various people in the movie, but want to hit some people that you weren't necessarily going to see in the movie that are very, very important to it. So first of all, our first name is one Mr. Gary K. Wolf, who wrote the book, who censored Roger Rabbit, which the movie is based upon. Now, I know some people might be surprised that Roger Rabbit is based on a book in the first place. This is this is one of those ones where uh, you know how they they talk about a book and they're like, oh, I don't know how they're going to make a film adaptation. It's an unfilmable book. Mm-hmm. Well, this is one where it's like it's an unbookable film. Like <laughs> like how did you make this a book? The book is a very unfilmable book too because <laughs> it is it, it's comic strip characters in the book with like word bubbles every time they talk. Um, It seems like Gary K. Wolf did everything in his power to make this so (laughs) you couldn't make a movie out of it. To be like, you know what I want to do? I want to write a great book that I'll never make film money on. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, Disney Touchstone was like, jokes on you, Gary K. Wolf. (laughs) Top grossing movie. The books, very good books, which I recommend. And, and you know, it's not just a brag that I know how to read, but I, I did read the books. He's but. always bragging about that. <laughs> just brace yourselves. Another big name is one Mr. Robert Zemeckis, who is hot on the tail of Back to the Future, which just came out a few years earlier. So really just nailing the greatest movies of all time with with this movie and back to the future Uh, oh and then death becomes her which is a favorite of mine oh that is a great movie talk about he's he's going like back to back weird who framed roger rabbit all the back to the futures uh then he goes to some tv stuff death becomes her forrest gump uh then then castaway Definitely peaked the weirdness with Polar Express, I think. They were like, hey, hey, Robert, you got to reel it in. The The eyes were too much for people. Well, I mean, I think he's going to bring it back because he is going to be directing the live action Pinocchio, which cannot be anything but incredibly. Yeah, uh, true. We got cinematographer of this movie, which I want to throw in here, too, because he... 
I can't imagine how hard this was to film. And that is one Mr. Dean Cundy. And it is, it is filmed brilliantly too. It, it, it's, you know, it's very different experience watching this movie to do, to analyze it. Right. As opposed to just like watching it to enjoy it. And like, when you watch it with that more, when you watch it with that more like, um, you know, analytical lens, it's just, it's so well done. And to think that he had to do all of these things when half of his actors were not real people and like they had to do tennis balls to stand in for them Pretty cool. wait right after right after this movie he did roadhouse <laughs> <laughs> that's quite a one-two punch no i know he was like you know what he was like now now i can get all those kicks on screen i filmed an imaginary rabbit <laughs> I can do anything you think they tried to film it earlier and patrick swayze was like you're not ready for me yet do a movie with a cartoon rabbit and then we'll talk and then you'll be able to film these dancing feet do fight scenes. <laughs> another, another name that I want to bring up is one Mr. Richard Williams, who is the animator for this movie and made this work just so fantastically. It's crazy. I don't know very much about animation, but uh, I do know that it's one of the few movies where you can watch it uh, decades later and be like, there's no weird uncanny valley-ness. There's no, um, there's no like, oh, those effects look really dated. Uh, it's amazing. Yeah, it's, it st- holds up today so much. I mean, I, I'm not a huge fan of CG and I will blame this movie a little bit for, you know, it inspired things. We might not have as much CGI in movies if it weren't for that movie. So. Why, why do you think that? Just because of the way it was able to make people interact. This was the first time that people were just interacting with the same objects as cartoon characters. It really opened up the door for that type of things where people were like, okay, let's take this to the next level. Another name on our list is one Mr. Charles Fleischer, the one and only voice of the titular Roger Rabbit. I... I'm hoping that someday we can speak to him because I have questions. Gotta say it is an for sure interesting performance. He is the foil to the Eddie Valiant straight man and uh, really nails it. Yeah. And you know, I said this earlier about like, to me, cartoon characters are, they have one joke and that's, that's what makes a cartoon character, right? They have a bit and they do it and that's what they do. Um, And he, I think he nails that. Roger has a bit and he does it and that's his whole deal that's the thing about the the tunes they are who they are they're like a hundred percent authentic to their own being with maybe the exception of one which is going to be a big reveal of the movie for those uh those first timers out there you know I what's interesting too is that his most recent role was again Roger Rabbit in the new uh Rescue Rangers oh that's awesome Uh, what you know the circle of life Charles Fraser is back to being Roger Rabbit. Always be, always be Roger Rabbit. Yeah. Uh, he he had a part in another Zemeckis movie a little bit later in Back to the Future 2. He had a small part. He was in the future, the old guy in the future that said, I should have bet on the Cubbies. <laughs> That's the one and only impression I will do in this podcast. You've heard it here now. Hey, you nailed it. Thank you. Yeah. I think I, I probably misquoted the line too, but uh, Fleischer, Mr. Fleischer, uh, sorry. <laughs> I think we got the spirit of it. 
Another name on the list is one Ms. Kathleen Turner. The ultimate sultry sultress. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I can't I, think of a voice that is more just like, this is a lounge singer. Oh, by the way, I should note she plays Jessica Rabbit within oh, important. the film. Yeah. yeah, important fact. Yeah. But yeah, just has a perfect voice for it, where it's it, it's a very film noir sort of voice, but act, works as a cartoon character at the same time. Yeah, it's low, it's gravelly, it's it's got like a gravitas to it that is uh, so it's like it's like sitting by a, a warm crackling fire. Oh wow, perfect right? description with, with like a glass of whiskey. The last name that I'll hit upon the list is, uh, you know, this is more of one of the unknown names, but it's someone named Steven Spielberg. Huh. Are you it familiar sounds, with this one? It sounds familiar, but it could just be a common name. Mm, yeah, yeah it, it's just one of those ones we hear all the time. Does it go by Steve? Oh, I think so. I think yeah. that's why it's Oh, Steve. no, Steve, <laughs> Steve Spielberg. Okay, yeah, I know that guy. He is... This movie would have not happened without him. All this different IP crossing, not just Disney, Warner Brothers, but Fleischer Studios, all these other different animation studios coming together, lending their IP for this particular movie. And the reason they all did it is because Steven Spielberg, superstar that he was at the time, convinced them to do so. And I don't think it would work today. I don't think it would have worked beforehand. Uh, this, this movie and all of it coming together in this way seems like one of those movies that you would hear about that they, it was in pre-production or something. And you're like, oh, wouldn't that have been cool if they actually made it? But yeah, it makes sense that it never got made. I agree. I still, I stand by the point that this is where the multiverse converges and this mm -hmm. movie is the same in all universes <laughs> because it's too perfect of a like, you know, too many things have to converge and align to, for it to be what it is. Yeah, for, for real. It's, it's, a movie that so easily could have not existed. Who Who's your favorite cartoon character, Annie? Oh, why have I not thought about this? Um, I don't know. I, when I think, when you say that, right? Like right off the bat, like stuff, my brain goes to kid stuff per mm -hmm. our conversation moments ago. Um, I don't really think about like the adult ones because to me, they don't really qualify as like cartoon characters. I feel like when we watch like adult cartoons too, they're more like whole people, right? Like, Whereas like cartoon Homer characters, Simpson. I feel like as like a cartoon character is one joke that they just beat over and over and over again to mm. me. And that's, uh, I'm making that um, delineation in my own brain. I don't think that's a real one, um, but that's what I think of, right? I think of like a kid's cartoon character that is one thing. Um, and you know, the cartoon that I can watch for a long time and this is going to be a weird answer for someone who's my age like I won't notice that it's on I could just sit and watch it for a really long time is Spongebob Squarepants which I know mm. like. but I feel like of all the kids cartoons that's the one that like I think is entertaining you know and it doesn't and he is maybe the most annoying creature that's ever been you know drawn or created but it's I don't know it's got a self level of self-awareness to it and it's it's pretty funny I like I, it yeah very Roger Rabbit-esque one might yeah. say <laughs> <laughs> what about you who's your favorite cartoon you know it's it's tough but I will say the Cheshire Cat I just he's just an agent of chaos and I'm there for every second he's on screen 
Alice in Wonderland, also my favorite of the Disney animated films. I do love psychedelic Disney, so it's a great one. Maybe tied with the, I guess I'd call it anthology Disney movie, which is The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad, which- I liked that. It, it's really underrated. And yeah. The Headless Horseman cartoon, maybe the most frightening cartoon ever made. And then uh, Mr. Toad deals with all the things kids love, like deeds to mansions and grand <laughs> thefts and- Oh my God, maybe this is where my like, my like uh, interest in the extremely mundane details of heist movies is like, <laughs> where I'm just like, yeah, but how do they get around this? How do Wait. they get around zoning laws on that? Um, to sum up the first episode of this podcast, I think it's pretty safe to say we like Who Framed Roger Rabbit. We want the listeners because, you know, there's going to be some minutes where I'm sure we're going to lay some criticism on the movie. But listeners, remember how much we're gushing about this now before you dox us, all right? (laughs) We're fans. We are fans. We definitely are fans. fans. Listeners, we have a Facebook group that you can join. It is Who Analyzed Roger Rabbit Listeners come on in. We're going to actually be having lots of fun segments within the show. Like we've got hypothetical Thursday. We're going to be posing out a hypothetical question to uh, listeners each week. And we'll read some of our favorite answers on the podcast every week. One of our friends, Nish, has never seen the movie before and actually has zero idea what it is. And so we're going to be punishing him for that. <laughs> yes. He, did. he needs to pay. He needs yeah. to learn. <laughs> Um, he's going to be watching the movie in three minute installments and giving us a call and letting us know what he thinks. I can't Um, wait to see what he thinks. I can't wait either. He has no idea what he's in store for. I feel like you, you're not going to have an idea what you're in store for if you like read a description or like had some, you know, idea of what the movie is. And he has no idea. No, none. He does not even know, to my understanding, that it is a mix of live action and animation. So, yeah. So we've got all that and way, way, way more. Annie, do you have anything you want to plug? Uh, Not specifically, but I will say, you know, Chris and I are both improvisers. Watch improv, do improv. It's it's good for the world, especially in times like these to just go and laugh and be silly and uh, if you're not comfortable trying it and giving yourself a chance to kind of be a kid and play, then uh, at least go support people who are doing it and watch it. It brings a lot of joy to a lot of people's lives. So that's my like smushy improv plug. And yes, we know it's silly and we get it. And if you're a stand-up comedian and have decided we're your mortal enemies, well, I don't care. <laughs> or if you're a tune and you're like, hey, I do this stuff... <laughs> 24 7. What about you, Chris? Do you have anything to plug? Uh, we'll see. I'll, I'll second your, your improv plug. Yeah. And I'll say too, uh, I run a streaming service called Sideshow. It's actually side with a C, like D side, Sideshow. And we've got lots of game shows for people to come participate on and be part of. So if that seems up your alley, you want to come be on a game show, win some cool prizes, we've got them happening all the time now. But we are uh, mostly just fully dedicated to the gospel of Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Yes. Pretty much uh, all we do. That is the main thing we want to plug. It's not just this episode today. (laughs) We got 104 more of these to come. (laughs) 
Facebook group who analyze Roger Rabbit listeners. We are hosted by Dueling Genre, which we mentioned earlier, Back to the Future. They did the Back to the Future Minutes podcast, all three of the movies, minute by minute. That is all on DuelingGenre.com. And of course, Scott Corelli, thank you for hosting us. And you can support by clicking on the link once you're there on Dueling Genre. We will see you on Monday for the first minute of Who Analyzed Roger Rabbit.